0: to the checkout adam maxwell voyage foods thanks for making the time for us
1: yeah thanks so much for having me errol
0: right on yeah this is a bit of a different kind of episode um, because we are both science geeks and we're, we're gonna get to geek out a little on science this time but before we do tell us a bit about your experience in the food industry and in the food business
1: uh my experience in the food industry and the food business uh, i feel like dates back to as, as long as I can remember, um, pre adulta definitely. Uh, so when I was 12 years old, I asked for a, a KitchenAid stand mixer for my bar mitzvah. Uh, I think very untraditional, uh, request from a 12 year old boy, especially at that time. Um, and yeah, I just totally fell in love with pastry. And at 14, we had, we'd eaten at this amazing restaurant, Clio, in Boston and, and I, I told my parents after, I was like, well, can I, can I be a pastry apprentice there this summer? And they're like, well, I guess, I guess we can ask. Um, and so this was, you know, James Beard Award winning top 50 restaurant in the US. And I just kind of asked, can I work for free and got my, got my toes wet there just as a pastry apprentice, you know, piping, piping chocolate and making muffin batter and kind of doing all the little things that someone with absolutely no talent in the kitchen was allowed to do. Um, and then kind of on and off from there, worked in restaurants, you know, through high school, a little bit through college, ended up at McGill University, uh, studying food chemistry up there in Montreal. Uh, it was a really great program. Uh, I didn't end up finishing. I had a really awesome, uh, job, job offer for, uh, food R&D consultancy in Boston called uh, Chew Innovation, and they, they do a lot of kind of big food consulting, a lot better for you type products, and I really, you know, I figured my formal education was done, and I really just jumped at the chance to, like, get real industry experience, um, which was really amazing. I spent two years there. Uh, you know, working with some of the biggest food companies in the world, trying to make, you know, in new product development, trying to make better for you products um, with, you know, very interesting stories, etc. By the end of that, it was a great experience. But I I was frustrated by the hesitancy of big food and, you know, fortune 50 food companies to actually really do the things that I felt like they should have been doing, you know, like the not to name any names, but like all those companies that all, all all come to mind when you talk about that, like they really have the power to make the biggest change. And I just didn't really feel like they were willing to, um, there are two, you know, CLT based basis, basis, Nielsen basis test based. And I, I ended up joining, uh, endless West, which is, uh, Liquor technology company, um, molecularly reverse engineering wines and spirits, you know, both democratizing wine and spirits um, and also, you know, preserving, uh, preserving wine and spirits. Uh, And that's really where I got my started cutting my teeth in the food technology sector um, and kind of more mission driven. uh, Yeah, mission driven, you know, far reaching do the impossible type work. Uh, And from there. Oh, yeah. And from there, it was really, you know, continuing on, like, what's the next logical step? And it was really, you know, Endless West is doing such a beautiful job, at, you know, reverse engineering, you know, wines and spirits that are cheaper, more accessible, um, use way less water, way less land, way less energy. But, you know, going back to my early days in pastry and love of, you know, chocolate science and all those things, it was really like, well, how can we take some of these same principles and really apply them to kind of these very like intense, you know, mission-driven impact-focused issues, Um, you know, like global chocolate production, global coffee production um, and consumption, et cetera.
0: So, yeah, let's talk a bit about your science background and what, what drew you towards this more technical aspect of food. And then you mentioned a word earlier, molecular engineering. I think you should probably define that and you may also want to just explain what that is relative to genetic engineering and some of the other food technologies that you know we talk a lot about on the show and that are obviously very, very widespread in the food industry. So um, have at it.
1: Yeah. So the difference um, between, you know, uh, molecular engineering per se, and, and genetic engineering is molecular engineering is basically looking at all these different plant inputs, yeast inputs, um, natural inputs of ingredients that are already naturally grown and ubiquitous globally. Um, And, and finding those compounds by compounds, like a a Coca-Cola, for example, is the, the, Active flavorants in a Coca Cola is lime flavor, lemon flavor, cinnamon flavor, and caramel flavor, and those are all you know collections of molecules. And, and same with like a glass of red wine; it, it's a collection of molecules in a glass. And, and the premise um, is, you know, if it's a collection of molecules in a glass, those molecules don't know where they came from whether it's from cacao, whether it's from grape seeds, whether it's from red wine or some other source, you know, those, those, those molecules, it doesn't matter what their source material is. It just matters that that molecule has that taste and that functionality in a food product. So it's really like stripping them back, stripping, you know, food, beverage, et cetera, back to its most core, you know, molecular structures and or molecular molecular building blocks, and then the structure that they are they find themselves in, and then finding those compounds, you know, from nature or processing them in some way to get them there and then putting them back together.
0: This makes me think a lot about the process to make um, natural flavors where, you know, it's very proprietary, it's very large scale, um, but, you know, companies can select for a very particular set of notes of flavors which has a extremely complex molecular profile molecular signature um so is that what we're talking about here that kind of like formulation and is there anything lost in translation when you're trying to reverse engineer something uh relative to how it you know uh, it occurs quote naturally
1: Uh, well, well, our, our theoretical goal is to bring that Delta of where, where we are in the sciences of, we are of the, you know, natural flavor, et cetera, Mm -hmm. um, to parity with, with the natural world we 're not, not necessarily one hundred percent there yet, but that, that that is really the goal and yeah, all, all this is kind of built on standard natural flavor compounding type methodologies. We use a lot of the same source materials, um, we have a lot of the same vendors and really where, where the difference is is um, the difference is between what what we 're doing and what m- much of the natural flavor companies are doing is for things like chocolate, peanut butter, coffee, um, anything where there's kind of a large Maillard or caramelization um, or reaction flavors, as the industry would refer to them, um, flavor in there, then, then the, the, you, you need to have uh, the building blocks to also, also make up what you'll never get from pure compounds alone. And so that's, I think, the really beautiful thing of what Floyd Foods has done is, you know, we're doing all of the flavor compounding and flavor research and chemistry like, uh, you know, a flavor house. But we also have this back end of where we're taking these kind of uh, very blasé natural ingredients and then processing them into, in, in such ways that we can elicit some of those flavors that you could never get um, from like standard natural flavor manufacturing.
0: What do you mean by blasé? natural ingredients like what So things like
1: you know like like our chocolate is um it is made from uh grape seeds and grape seeds and sunflower meal um those are kind of the main non-fat non-sugar ingredients and and just through processing those thermally with some extra steps you know no added chemicals or anything then we can really you know push the like all all chocolate all chocolate, so to speak, is, you know, you have your fermented cacao and, the, and then it's roasted, sometimes Dutched, et cetera. Um, and so we're taking these natural ingredients that don't taste the inputs that don't taste anything like um, cacao nibs, et cetera, and then and then processing them in such ways that we can exhibit those flavors. So, you know, no one would ever think industrial wine seed grapes uh, byproducts would ever be kind of this, you know, sexy ingredient that could be high value. But, you know, we're turning them into these, you know, much more high value, much more exciting products than, you know, grapeseeds, which are typically sold on the, you know, industrial secondary market for colorants, uh, anthocyanins, nutraceuticals, or or waste or like total waste.
0: Yeah. And so how are you selecting for these types of uh, base ingredients?
1: a lot of what we have been doing is kind of trying to database as we build out our technology sets, like database of, you know, what are, um, what are kind of these mass, you know, cash crops, which is a whole another issue that I, I won't touch on, but um, these, these mass cash crops and kind of very kind of, not necessarily ubiquitous, but plentiful, cost-effective sources and look at, you know, what are their tannin profiles? What are their amino amino acid complexes look like? Uh, What types of sugars are in them? Um, and, And look for kind of areas where we can find the same types of reactants that we can then, you know, thermally or other process into a correct final product. Am I correct? I mean, you know, taste correct.
0: Yeah. So give us a sense without revealing anything, you know, proprietary, how this works, you know, trying, I'm thinking about it as, as a retailer and food marketer explaining that we have a substance that resembles, looks, probably even tastes a bit like chocolate, but is made from grape seeds or some other, essentially, you know, low value waste material, like Give give us the elevator speech. Like, what does that sound like to a customer, or even even more difficult, a retail buyer who you know is going to invest in shelf space?
1: Yeah, I I think there are a lot of different ways to cut that. I I think one of one of, one of I think the key ones that resonates very well with me is, you know, the idea of chocolate as a construct. It, it was. Chocolate doesn't exist in any way, shape, or form in the natural world. It, it by definition, exists because of process, right? Um, because of the you know the roasting, the dutching, the conching, all, all the all. What those are things. those?
0: Actually, explain what dutching and conching is. So, You know, us nerds know, but maybe maybe the, the listening yeah. audience doesn't.
1: So the 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 super brief chocolate manufacturing uh, handbook would be, um, you know, these cocoa pods are harvested. The, the seeds of which um, is what actually becomes chocolate. The, those are typically fermented at the farm, then dried at the farm, then sent to uh, you know a processor to be roasted and or dusted. And so things like in Oreo, Oreo or whenever you see very dark, dark chocolate um, in color, not in cacao percent, um, they'll add some sort of caustic sodium hydroxide or other- Al- Alkali. Yeah, some, some sort of al- yeah. alkaline alkaline yeah. substance um, because you can uh, change the reaction profile from adding al- al- alkaline um, substances to, you know, cacao before roasting or, or after roasting in some very sp- particular way. Um, senses. And then from there, it's, you know, the rest of chocolate manufacturing is really just a particle size reduction exercise where you're, you're adding fat and you're adding sugar and you're bringing the particle size down below the, you know, 25, 30 micron mark, um, which is, you know, uh, millionths of a meter. Um, and then, um, at that point, your, your tongue can't detect particle size and that's why it's so smooth, so melty, et cetera. And you're getting so, that, you so, know, and
0: you're, you're talking about the stuff we eat now. This is, this is, how the stuff on shelf actually becomes that way. So what you exactly. mentioned, Oreos or other, you know, chocolate bars, processed products. And what you've done here is sort of explained to us the, the food science yeah. of how that all works.
1: Exactly. And, and I think one of the other things that, you know, we explain to buyers, consumers, et cetera, is we use the exact same products, uh, processes. Um, we're, we're using the exact same steps in a very similar manner um just and just guiding them to express these flavors of cacao out of different different substances um and source materials and then adding what one would call natural flavors that we we make and develop ourselves in-house at the end
0: how do you um develop or deal with off notes you know that's something with with you know Product development or, you know, like food technology that you, you have a goal, you know, you sort of got a vision of what you'd like to achieve, and then you've got something, something funky that that pops into the formula. You know, how do you guys mitigate that?
1: Uh, it's, I, I think it's much easier to mitigate it by avoiding it. I think off notes, off notes are, are, and and that's something that I think the plant based based meat industry has a lot of issues. It's like a lot of those inputs are, you know, very strong in those, you know, right. Beanie off notes, um, off flavors, um, which is, I think, one of the reasons that they haven't reached as much ubiquity as, as they could have um so one of the things is we, we try very hard to make sure that when we're choosing source materials that 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 is a lot of the developmental process making sure that you know they don't have too many off notes but it's really you know at its more at its most core sense it's it's a paint by numbers of discra- distraction and obfuscation um you know scent is not made in the nose flavor is not made in the mouth it's all made in your brain um when when those come back um, to those signals, go back to the back of your brain. And so it's really obfuscation through flavor compounding. Um, and it sounds ridiculous, but, but, but it is true. It's, it's how can we trick you not to notice it like very sleight of hand magician type type work.
0: And so, and you're, you're absolutely not using any genetic engineering to do this as one of the popular genetic technologies that's that's really coming into market now is synthetic biology where scientists engineer a microorganism yes. like such as yeast to uh, mass-produce a particular molecule like say soy like hemoglobin that's the uh, bloody taste and impossible burger so you're not doing anything like this you're you're going right to the source so tell me a bit more about that
1: yeah I, I the food industry has done uh, you know I, I I think we all have a lot of qualms in, in, in some shape way, shape or form of you know, different parts of the food industry, but it has done a really good job of you know, making certain crops um, very widely available, very cheap and very efficiently. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I just, I don't think the technology is there yet on the synthetic bio side, um, the bio molecular engineering, or not molecular engineering, but GMO engineering, et cetera, mm-hmm. uh, of those types of compounds. And so it just, when looking of like how to tackle this problem, it really just seemed like the easiest way to get something that would be, you know, cost accessible, you know, FDA approved from day one, because everything we're using is grass and mostly whole food ingredients, uh, just seemed like the the most efficient way to kind of solve these problems.
0: Right on. What was your inspiration for starting Voyage Foods and, you know, wanting to commercialize this type of product?
1: I I think a lot of it was really Endless West's tackling of the impossible. Like tackling the impossible and working on something, you know, turning water into wine is in the Bible. Like, <laughs> I, I'm I'm Jewish. Today's Rosh Hashanah. Um,
0: bro. Shana Tova. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, but 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 like these these big impossible issues, and 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 like I think they're they're. Barry Calibo has been working on, on fake chocolate forever, right? There, there are all these compound coatings. Everyone knows that, you know, there, there are going to be massive supply and demand issues with cacao and and coffee over the coming decades. Mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and I think working at Endless West and and working, you know, Alec Lee has been a, the CEO of Endless West, has been an incredible mentor. But it really showed me that, you know, these things are possible. And, you know, just because we don't have the most money or the biggest team, um we, we can solve massive issues and, and it just seemed like a really good logical next step in, in my life. Um, and, and I think for the food industry,
0: what's been the response, you know, you just sort of came out of, you know, your quiet period and you're, you're starting to unveil some of these products, like how are people reacting to it? Like how, you know, have people judged the taste or mouthfeel profile relative to, you know, the real thing?
1: So I, I think on, on the media side, I, I've been really surprised at how, how positive everything's been. Um, I, I was very scared that people were going to be like these Silicon Valley uh, profanities. <laughs> these Silicon Valley profanities who um, don't know nothing about food, um, trying to reverse engineer something that has no need for it. I, I think the the response I've seen for the most part, obviously not exclusively has, has been, you know, very positive, um, which I, I'm super happy about, obviously. Um, and, and especially, you know, we have a team of three of, a uh, like half our teams, food science and food science background people, uh, and then on the taste perception, I, because I come from you know a very strong culinary background, we 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 sent a lot of sample. We've sent you know samples as development has gone, um, and some of the people as we're sending our samples versus um, commercial samples next next to each other, people are uh, not being able to pull ours out of uh, a, a competitive set of, mm-hmm. you know, of equivalent market samples. And I think right. that's, that's really the, I think that's kind of our, our litmus test of does it work? That's our version of a Turing test. If you know, we, we have five chocolate bars and people can't pick ours out of them, you know, that means at, at the end of the day, it's chocolate. And, and, and it meets this society ideal of what chocolate is.
0: How does it uh, compare in terms of price?
1: Uh, price. So we're aiming to be line priced, um, on all of our product offerings from day one. That's something we felt very, very strongly about of, you know, you know, if we're trying to tell the story of accessibility, right. And, and, you know, chocolate for the future where, you know, we can our favorite foods forever is, is something that we have on a lot of our brand internal branding materials and if we're saying that and it's it's double the price of you know a standard chocolate bar then, then we're really not you know we're really not living up to our values so it'll all be line priced not necessarily with the the most bargain basement like compound coating products at Walmart but um, it'll be line priced with with mass market. Um,
0: so how are you thinking about labeling? You know what? How are you going to communicate? The distinction between, you know, what you're doing versus, you know, traditional products? And then have you also considered the potential for lawsuits? As, as you know, the, um, the meat and dairy lobby have both extensively sued, you know, plant-based food companies for what they consider to be deceptive, you know, labeling practices.
1: Yeah, I, I'll answer the second question first. Um, and I think, yeah, at some point, uh, if we're successful, and, and and when we're successful, we probably will get sued by one of those two slash three companies that control the entire. <laughs> see, ADM, block.
0: Barry Calibo, Cargill.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm
0: not mentioning them, but um, yeah, 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 let's let's yeah, let's go down the list, okay? Yeah, because right. um, you're going right I- after that type of product.
1: Absolutely. And, yeah. and I think at some point we, we probably will be sued by them. Um, but on, on the labeling front, right, of course we can't call anything chocolate. We can't right. call anything, um, peanut butter. We legally can call our coffee products coffee, which I think that's a whole nother FDA issue that I don't want to get into that we could legally call a coffee, even though there's not an ounce of a uh, Arabica or robusta beans or a- any beans in there. Um, but so, so it'll, it'll we're working on the pack design now we're we're finishing it up but it all is going to be very clear of like this is the experience we're selling you Mm -hmm. but um the ingredients and source material so the chocolate will be cacao free very front and center on the label the peanut butter will obviously be all right free and that's I that you know a it's our first product so we have to make sure that you know our messaging is really good for that but also you know we're targeting an audience that's very, you know, people who very much so do not want to buy a peanut butter product because of the allergen. You know, we, we're, it's coming out of a fully allergen free facility with a fully allergen free supply chain. We've been very diligent on making sure, you know, on the safety side, um, especially for people with, you know, peanut anaphylaxis, either of them or someone in their family. And so we want to make sure that we're not alienating the customers we're trying to convert, right? <laughs> um, so it'll be very heavily, you know, peanut free. top 12 allergen free, very prominently on the label.
0: So, and this is a very sort of food tech, you know, question. Um, Having myself done a ton of formulation and, you know, product development, when you developed each of these particular items, did you have what we call an NBE, a national brand equivalent in terms of the flavor, mouthfeel, texture, Etc. that you were, were, were aiming for. You sort of hinted at it. I'm just curious if you got that specific in the development process. Yeah. Yeah. It's what a lot of private label brands do.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and they're all like, you know, the chocolate is, is catbury chocolate. Um, yeah. It's, you know, the most consumed chocolate in the world um, mm-hmm. and, and has so much ubiquity and, and like, also, you know, for, if we're, if we're targeting mass, like we want to make sure we're not targeting uh, a $12 dandelion bar. And when we're trying to be, you know, at all the Walmarts in the U S
0: Sure. Sure. So just to summarize for our audience, I guess, like, let's, let's talk about food science and like why folks should clue in a bit more to food science. And I, you know, I want to editorialize here a little, I think it's been um, monopolized by the genetic engineers, you know, in terms of science, good, this, this science, good, you should eat this because science says it's safe. And, it, you know, it, this is the future of food. And there is a lot of food science being done in all food, whether it's organic or non GMO, or, you know, locally raised, I mean, there's food safety, there's product development, um, you know, there's, there's all these types of, organoleptic, you know, testing things that you're talking about. But, you know, from your perspective, why should folks understand and pay attention to and and try to really clue into more food science?
1: I think of 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 all the you know consumer packaged goods you know i think food is something that everyone kind of implicitly thinks they understand a lot about because they eat three times a day right um everett has you know very very strong opinions on food um and and i think also of all the consumer packaged goods it's it's the most visceral because it, it becomes part of us right like there, there's very few things you interact with in this world that you know you're touching interacting with and like that's becoming the cells in my body right like all not to be weird, but like all of our skin, bones, et cetera, like that came into us as as some sort of food product. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's visceral. I, people's, you know, spend their, their most important moments in their lives in f- over food, right. You know, anniversaries, weddings, you know, all, all of that's you know, it, it's, it's, it's super powerful. And I think that there's, getting back to the science aspect of it is there is a lot of misinformation out there. um, And, and I think it's powerful for people to be able to know, you know, what is going in their body and and not necessarily in in a case of, you know, not everything that has a scientific name is bad. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, if you, if you, if you listen to like, i like, I get calls from my, my PhD father, my like, My professor father being like, you know, spelling out the some vitamin name on like vitamin E on the back of a a, a product. And he's like, well, I don't want to eat this. Right. And I'm like, no, 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 Jim, that's just the scientific name for vitamin E. And I think people would have a lot less stress at the grocery store if, if they knew a tiny bit of like, you know, food science. Um, And also I think the other side of that is, you know, people have this, you know, incredible idea that like processed food is bad. Um, And, you know, at at, at the end of the day, like uh, a lot of food science is, is food processing based. And, you know, just because something is processed doesn't mean it's bad. Um, Right. Like when, when corn came over from the new world to Northern Italy, uh, a, a lot of piedmont in that area they didn't bring the tribal knowledge of nixtamalization of that corn and all these people then they turned into these like very corn heavy diets but they didn't use the little bit of food science of you need to nixtamalize the corn to break down the hemicellulose around it so you can make the nutrition bioavailable and then all these people in northern italy for 100 years got you know uh, legria. I, I, I'm bad at remembering like specific terms, but, but all these diseases because they didn't have bioavailable enough corn. Um, and so, you know, food science is, you know, been helping, helping the world forever. You know, like the biscotti was invented for the Roman legion. So it could be the first like low water activity, shelf stable food. So they could, you know, travel like food science has been first energy bar. Yeah. First energy bar. It's like co-evolved with us as people, and there's this idea now that like food scientists are bad people. And like, I used to go to the Nat, Nat Expo West and my, my badge always said food scientists and people would look at me weird. And I'm like, well, all these products should have food scientists involved, whether it's from a safety standpoint, nutrition standpoint, a flavor stability standpoint, or just a taste, taste standpoint, you know, like it, that, that's why it's something I, I care a lot about is we're not all bad people. And uh, no, and, and I actually
0: don't think any, or I don't think even the folks doing genetic engineering are bad per se. It's, it's a political oh. economy and it's a transparency discussion about how much that stuff is monopolized certain in sectors of the food system. And it's not labeled and it has all these terrible effects. You know, it's, you know, it's engineered to withstand tons of herbicides, but you know, food scientists themselves. I mean, anybody who's eaten any, anything has benefited from the knowledge and experience of food science, anything that's been formulated, particularly if you buy store brands, like private label, particularly if you buy, you know, anything new, you know, like product innovations, you know, you know, line extensions, you know, there's always some food scientists, you know, in the, in the laboratory tweaking with, uh, you know, the flavors and the ingredients somewhere. So, I mean, it's a good point, but I think it's something like you're probably going to have an uphill battle with in certain sectors, particularly with how you're, you're, you know, you know, what you're actually doing. Absolutely. <laughs> what are some resources for folks? You know, it's something that we like to talk about on the, on this show a lot or, you know, books or further, you know, continuing education, like what are some resources folks can tap to understand a bit more about food science or maybe some personalities that they should check out? Now, well, obviously besides yourself.
1: <laughs> um, I, I, I think Harold McGee's on food and cooking. Yes. Um, yes. That, that book is actually the reason I transferred into food science. Um, I had that in my briefcase backpack, et cetera, for like five, six years until I lost it. Um, Obviously immediately got a new copy, but I I think that's probably it's written, you know, Harold's, Harold's an amazing educator and, and great at, you know, taking very big complex ideas and bringing them down and more on the culinary side but i really do think you know the fundamental building blocks whether it's you know molecular gastronomy or food science it's it's all the same molecules right it's, it's all the same things um and i, I think that's probably for people who don't want to get into really nerdy chemistry, like I think Fenema's Food Chemistry is one of the most beautiful books on chemistry ever written. Um, it's very dense. It has a lot of organic structures. Um,
0: I'll tell that to my daughter. She's studying chemical engineering now. She may not be ex- as excited as you about it. <laughs>
1: oh, it, it's it, it's a beautiful book, and it, yeah. it's just so cool to see, like you know, like whether it's you know pigment formation and cacao production or like. Uh, it, yeah I, i'm just a big nerd about those things those are i think those are my two bibles um for uh that i the, the two books that i continue to open back up
0: awesome well adam maxwell voyage foods fascinating stuff um you know any closing thoughts or things you'd like to share with our audience no i don't think so yeah <laughs> okay. Right on. Well, thanks so much for being on The Checkout. Looking forward to staying in touch. Awesome.
1: Thank you so much, Errol. Have a good day.